0: Good morning, good to see you. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm uh, Gary, otherwise known as the new guy. And uh, so, so good to be here this time last week. I was on a rafting trip and I did not smell near as good uh, as I do now. I just wanna say that we had a great time, but more on that in just a little bit. I wanna throw out a question for you to discuss with someone around you. This is for a couple of reasons, one, Uh, It might give you a chance to introduce yourself to someone that you don't know that's around you, and it uh, might be uh, just a great opportunity for you as extroverts to really enjoy life, and for our introverts in the room, um, just growl, okay? That's all you got to do. Just say, I didn't really want, I didn't come here to talk to people, but anyway. This is what I would like for you to do, is just, uh, there's no right or wrong answer, it's just your opinion. Um, What is the number one thing you look for in a church? What is the number one thing you look for in a church? And I know the introverts are like not making me talk to my neighbor. But uh, so just right now, where you are, just turn to the people around you. Maybe you need to do a quick introduction. I'll give you a few moments to just say, hey, this is, uh, if I had just one thing, this is what I would need to see in a church. All right. What are some, uh, what are some answers? What, uh, either something... This is what you were looking for, or maybe it's somebody that you were circled up with. There's something that they said. Mary Beth. A sense of the Holy Spirit at work. A sense of the Holy Spirit at work. Okay, very good. Anybody else? Yes, Cassie. Um We talked about you know, music, the word, good preaching, mm-hmm. preaching to help us grow. Okay. But then we started talking that everything is connected okay community and family and music and preaching and all that is connected yeah one of those is missing it gets it's out of balance okay so community family teaching worship worship. so basically you're looking for everything of there you just set the bar okay (laughs) all right somebody somebody else yeah i would say having the same heart same the same heart Heart. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, just a real deep sense of unity and in, in that great. Yeah. Truthfulness. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Bible-based preaching. Bible-based preaching. Okay. Good. All right. I'm I'm going to mention the Bible today, so we're we're off to a good start. All right. <laughs> Dad said. Uh, that said, the sermon. So pressure's on. The sermon. <laughs> I don't respond well to pressure, so we'll see, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Um, so, so we all kind of have somewhat different things that we're looking for, but we all it, can we admit that we have something that we're looking for, yeah. for sure. Okay. Um, we're going to look uh, at a particular church that Jesus wrote a letter to. It's the church in Smyrna. Charlotte read that passage to us, and we're going to reread that in just a minute. But can we acknowledge that it, just the word church has its own kind of baggage? Okay. To tell your neighbor, you know, when they or your coworker, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? Sometimes to say, yeah, I went to went to church on Sunday. Could do you ever feel like you need to explain yourself with that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so with just as you kind of have things that you're looking for in a church, there's a lot of things that. Uh, just images that people have when they hear the word church, and it could be based upon their their background or whatever. Well, there's something about this, this church in Smyrna, and I just want to start off by saying, uh, we, so we're going to spend like four weeks looking at seven churches. In other words, we're not going to get to three of the seven churches is what I'm saying. We'll circle back maybe at some point, but um, the church in Smyrna was one of the churches that I didn't want to address, but that's what we're going to talk about today. And it was one of those that at first I couldn't figure out, why do I not want to, to dive into this and, and for us to discuss this? And it dawned on me that this one, what Jesus wrote was not so much a letter, but he sent him a bill. So how many of us like getting letters in the mail? Yeah. How many of us enjoy getting bills in the mail? No. And by and large, that's all we ever get in the mail now, I think. And... Um, but there is something about this that it, it took me a while to figure it out. But um, basically, he was saying, I've got great things for you, but it's going to come at a cost. And so this is the letter that he wrote to the church at Smyrna. And I think it's interesting, especially a couple of weeks ago as we talk about these great opportunities and looking for an open door. Um, but church... It's one of those things that we kind of have a variety of opinions on what we look for, what we hope for, things like that. Um, Last weekend, like I said, I was with the students and some parents out, uh, what was the river we were on? American River? Yeah, and uh, rafting, and so we're getting ready to, to go rafting. We've got these uh, embarrassing-looking helmets on and um, life jackets and, and things like that. And we're standing there, and for those of you that know, Todd and Mary, they now live in London, but they were here for a little bit. Elliot, as their son, was on this trip. They were gonna be in my raft, and so we're standing there about to get um, our instructions on, on what we're gonna do, and one of the rafting guides comes over to us and says, so are you guys a church group? And, and Mary phrased what I think we were all wondering. She goes, what, what made him think we were a church group? And there was a part of me, I don't know if this is good or not. This is, if you're a counselor, you're probably thinking, I'm, uh, Gary's somebody I could make a lot of money off of. But, uh, <laughs> but I began to think, I'm not so sure I liked the way he said that. There was a part of me that was like, is that really what we wanted to be? Now, if we were on like a mission trip, we were doing all these good things, then I would say, yeah, I would want them to know we're a church group. But we were just a bunch of people in, like I said, life jackets and standing on dry ground. So what about us, you know, was, what did we look, how did we look like a church group? Um, when, uh, I remember one time I was at a car dealership and I was looking for, to, to buy a used car and the salesperson asked me what kind of work I do. And I said, well, I'm, I actually pastor a church. And no lie, just without any hesitation, he goes, oh, I got this, uh, I got this older Buick that I bet you would really like. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at the guy and I said, you know, I, I like being a pastor, but I, I don't want to look like one. And so... so like I said, I think a therapist, there have been a lot that have made quite a bit of money off of me. But anyway, so I'm, so I'm trying to figure out, we're analyzing what was it about us that made him think we were a church group? And so I think there's something about the way we live our lives that maybe we want to be known in that way, but maybe we're, we're kind of like, is that, is that really the reputation that we want? And so... Just to kind of make sure we loop everybody into the room. Um, I get that not everybody here likes church. Some of you are here because this is something that you really, you, you want to have a Sabbath day of rest. And this is a great way for you to focus and kind of center yourself for the week to come. Others of you... Um, could think of a lot of other things that you would really have rather done today, but maybe your kids were the reason that you came here. Um, it could be that uh, you were glad that you came here, and then. but the number one thing you're looking for in a church is air conditioning, and we don't have that in here. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different reasons why we may or may not want to be here. And I just want to say that for some of you, church might be really weird, and for others of you, Church is a place where you were really wounded. And I just wanna say I am so, so sorry that something that God intended to be such a beautiful blessing in your life ended up being hurtful, detrimental to you. Um, For those of us that have spent quite a bit of time in church, um, we know what it's like to be wounded by the church. It hurts we realize that this isn't the perfect beautiful bride that the, that the Bible talks about, at least that we are supposed to be, but that we will be someday when we reach glory, when we um, become fully who God wanted us to be in heaven. But I just wanna say that as we talk about church, I know that there's a lot of thoughts that could be going through your head. And in a way, I want to I just wanna make sure that you know Uh, what we are and are not talking about. And this isn't specific just to the church in Smyrna, but any of these, as we consider these letters to the churches, um, but as we think about who we are, and who God is calling us to be and and all of that, I just want to remind you that um, church is not a building. I'm thankful for this building, but church is not a building. Just to kind of prove my point, we say we're going to church, and this is gonna be a really hard habit for all of us to break, for me in particular. We say we're going to church, but it's really, we're kind of misnaming church in that process. When, when I leave with my family from church, I don't say to my family in the car, hey, we're going to the Taylors. I don't, I don't say that because we are the Taylors. We're going to a building where the tailors gather in our home, but we're not going to the tailors, we are the tailors. So in that sense we're not going to church, we are the church. So it's, we understand that it's, it's not a building, it's people. Uh, church is not just a Sunday morning worship service, there's so much more that takes place. Uh, church is not a combination of programs and classes, but what church is is a group of gathered and devoted followers of Jesus. The word that the Bible uses more than 260 times in the New Testament is the word disciple. And when we gather together as a church, we are disciples, we are literally followers of Jesus. And so um, church is a gathering of devoted followers of Him. It's a movement of God's love out in a city, Uh, We become, as the church, an expression, a gathering of people who are commissioned as Jesus' body, and we incarnate in a particular place. Just as Jesus wrote a letter to the church in Smyrna, we are the church in Marin. In other words, this isn't just kind of some, um, in theory, this is kind of who we want to grow into, this is gonna be, um, this is gonna take root right here where we are. And sometimes those roots spread out and go to other parts of the world, but it is always rooted and grounded in a place. And with that, um, what we're gonna see is um, the going is gonna be tough. There is gonna be a commitment required. And my first few weeks here, I've gone around to some of the health clubs in the area to see what I can get a membership for. And I, it makes me kind of laugh when they're giving me their sales pitch and, then, and they say, um, come and join, but hey, no commitment necessary. And I, I'm like, well... The, so basically you're saying, hey, we'd love to have you here, but don't expect any results. <laughs> don't expect any changes because we're not really requiring anything. There, there has to be a commitment. And I get what they're talking about. You, can, you don't have to sign a five-year contract. You can just kind of go month to month in the payments. But can we agree? It's, it's kind of common sense. You have to commit if you're going to grow and become healthy and things like that. There is a commitment to what God calls us to here. Um, It's more than just attending. It's more than saying, I'm a member. It is actively devoting ourselves to following Jesus. And when we do that, we realize um, that there's a cost. There is a cost. So I want us to look at this passage. Uh, It's been read once. Thank you, Charlotte. And we're going to read it again in Revelation 2, beginning in verse 8. 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Now, can you imagine going to Smyrna's membership class? (laughs) I think this would be kind of funny. You sit down and um, hi, I'm, I'm the pastor here at Smyrna, and we're really glad, I hope you want to kind of make this your church home. I um, just want you to know um, our finances are way down, uh, we are really struggling, uh, we've got quite a few of our members that are now in prison, and uh, well, we're, we're losing quite a few uh, for a lot of really grim reasons. Uh, things are uh, not really good, and we just received notice that things are actually going to get a little bit Bit worse. (laughs) Anyway, who wants to join? Who wants to be a part of this? So when you were discussing what you were looking for in a church, did anybody mention affliction, (laughs) being slandered, anything like that? Is that so this is what is taking place here? And Jesus is saying there are some great things ahead, but this isn't going to be easy. It's going to require a commitment. He goes on to say, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, I read several books on what this could mean. What does this, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Some people believe that this letter arrived as a warning and it was a literal 10 days. That for this 10 day period, things were the temperature was really going to get turned up other people kind of saw it as instead of a literal 24-hour period of of time a day it was almost like a season and an era and so uh, like um i'll use it in a sentence back in the day i was pretty cool okay this is kind of a way to see it And thanks for agreeing with that so much right yeah Uh, i thought about this one this morning as i was getting ready back in the day I didn't grunt when I bent over to put on my socks. Um, Those are some things. So it's not like a specific time, but there is a, and so Jesus is saying, potentially, there is going to be a day. There's going to be a season of your life. In fact, there are gonna be 10 seasons. And then there are some other scholars that say that in this culture, these people were under uh, Roman rule, and under the next 10 emperors, beginning with Nero, and going to Diocletian, under these ten rulers there would be ten days, ten periods of persecution. So regardless of how you interpret this, one thing is really clear, Jesus loved them and warned them. He said, yeah. He was the doctor that said, yeah, to be honest, this is going to sting a little bit. And he was saying, this is is what's going to happen. In Acts 14, we uh, we see, uh, we read, we must go through many hardships to enter the Kingdom of God. In Matthew 13, Jesus is uh, d- giving us this parable of different seeds that fall on different soils. And He's talking about how difficulties are going to arise in this one in particular. He says, since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, they quickly fall away. In other words, some people are going to experience, trouble and persecution, some people are going to be able to hang in there and other people will not. So Revelation 2 uh, verse 10, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Um, Another thing about Smyrna that's interesting is it was known for its arena and its games. Uh, They were very familiar with this terminology. Um, Because of that arena, they could envision that finish line and they knew what a victor's crown was, it was that wreath that would be placed on the head of the person that won. They would also know that you don't just win by showing up the day of the event. It requires training and effort and sweat and rearranging your life in order to, uh, to win. And it's gonna be hard, uh, but the, the victor's crown, the victor's wreath is worth it. And then finally, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, Will not be hurt at all by the second death. And Matthew ten, twenty-eight is another time when Jesus was talking about this second death. It says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And the word for soul in this this verse in Matthew 10 is the word suke, and it has behind it this, this idea of breath. And so, kind of what we have here is a picture of Jesus saying, uh, each of us will come to a day when we stop breathing, but those who are faithful, those who live by faith, will never lose the breath of God in them. you kind of see how these two go together. Everyone here, breathing. Do you have the breath of God in you? It's the difference between being alive and really living. When, when Jesus said, I am come that you may have life and life to the full. It is, it is the breath of God that has animated your, more than just your body, but your whole spirit, your whole soul. On September 8th, the reason we can call um, a memorial service a celebration of life is because Scott is one whose spirit, whose soul is still breathing. In fact, I would say Scott has never been more alive than he is right now. And he is someone who didn't just put his faith in Jesus, but as we see in this verse, um, he is one who is faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. More than just a one-time event. It is a way that we can live our life. So let me ask you, how is your soul? How is your soul? Are you allowing the breath of God to animate your thoughts, your words, your actions, your affections, your will, your desire? This how is your soul question is one that um, when we gather on Tuesdays as a staff that we're going to start really asking each other because this is a very important part. How, How are we allowing God to breathe into us? How alive are we? As I gather with the elders of this church, it's a question that we are asking ourselves. How is our soul? I mean, are we really opening ourselves up to receive God's breath and for Him um, to bring us to life in a way that we can share life with others? And I want to ask you the same question. How is your soul? How is your soul right now, today? Where do you feel like you are in this and this spiritual journey is he breathing into you. The city of Smyrna um, was known for Caesar worship. So you have to you have to know that in this vast Roman Empire, which really encompassed the entire known world at the time, um, th- one of the challenges that they had was to keep unity um, in this massive empire. And there wasn't a single religion that unified. But what they did do is um, they would rally everyone around the Caesar, the the emperor of that time. And so what they would do is every, everyone, well every man kind of representing uh, himself and the family that he was with, was required on an annual basis to appear um, and to burn a pinch of incense on the altar to the Godhead of Caesar. And then upon doing that they would receive a certificate and basically said, okay, you have kind of paid your dues, you have paid your respects to Caesar. And in doing this, you are saying, Caesar is Lord. They would say, along with burning this incense, Caesar is Lord. And Rome was okay. This was more of a political way to bring unity, because they didn't really care if you went back and worshipped another god. They just wanted to know that your loyalties were to Caesar. But if you refuse to bow to Caesar, if you refuse to say Caesar is Lord, if you refuse to burn this incense, that's when Smyrna lived up to its name. Because the name Smyrna actually means suffering. So these Christians lived in a city called Suffering. And you'll see a little bit more as to why it has that name in just a minute. Um, But these people, these Christians, these disciples, I want you to know what they were facing uh, because of their stand for christ they lost everything because they would not say caesar is lord because instead they would say jesus is lord they were ostracized um, they were really not in a position um, to have a business to make a living um, it says that they were poor jesus says i understand that you are poor and there's two words for poor that's used typically in the Bible. One of them is um, poor, like you need to work for a living. You don't have so much money that you can just stop working. Um, and the other one is poor, like destitute. Like you have absolutely nothing to fall back on. And the word that's used here is complete destitution. So, commitment and devotion described the Christians in Smyrna, Lord was a name that they reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. And because of their unwillingness to compromise, they were considered outlaws and they were exposed to persecution. So if we were to summarize what we just read in those few verses, what these church members, so to speak, were going through was affliction, poverty, being slandered, suffering, testing, persecution, and for some of them, even death. I know I'm not alone in saying that we want Bay Marin to be a place where you can dip a toe in. If you are still investigating the claims of Christ, or maybe you're not even to the point where you're investigating, you're you're quite honestly skeptical, Uh, but you have some questions, we think this is a great place for you to ask questions. And not just a place like in this building on Sunday mornings, but to partner with some people who have journeyed and to begin asking some really difficult, even dangerous questions about um, who Jesus claimed to be and the impact that could have on your life. I think this is a, a great place for you to feel as though you, were, you belong, even though you're still asking questions and weighing responsibilities and taking steps. And I just want you to know, even for those of us who do claim to be followers of Jesus, we still have questions too. We don't have this all figured out. Um, there are going to be times when we hit a wall of our own, and maybe we are battling doubts. And that could be where you are today, even as one who has, has journeyed with God for a long time. This is a safe place to continue to ask those questions. But at some point, we have to move into a committed role of being a disciple, to be a devoted disciple, to do what God has called us to do. Um, I'm just going to use these two words for no no other reason, because they start with the same letter, and uh, apparently preachers are supposed to use points that start with the same letter. But... um, there's a difference between a, discipler, uh, between a disciple and a dabbler. There's a difference between um, following and just kind of, uh, I don't know if I'm really in. It's kind of like this, this hokey pokey version uh, where you kind of, sometimes you put your heart in, you take your heart out, you put your heart in, you shake it out, whatever. It, it's, it's kind of this difference between dabbling and really being devoted. Now, yes, this is a safe place for us to uh, to begin that journey and to ask those questions. But hear me when I say, um, we want you to be all in at some point, as all in as you can be. Um, I believe that's what God wants for you. He wants you to be all in. But there's a, can we agree that there's a huge difference between devotion and dabbling? I found out that um, Bill and Cassie have been married 54 years. Fifty-four years? Now, how many of you, yeah. How many of you think they made it to fifty-four years of marriage by just kind of dabbling in a relationship? (laughs) How many of you think they made it to fifty-four years because they were devoted to each other? Yeah. For those of you who are parents, how much much do we sometimes wish that we could just dabble in parenting? (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? We're just kind of, okay, things are a little bit tough right now, and we check out. But if we're really devoted to this, we see beyond what we're going through, and this is worth it. Are you devoted to Jesus? The things that He is calling us to do as we we act as Jesus' hands and feet in Moran. It's going to require us to live a life of devotion, to say I'm in, and I want us to encourage each other in that way. Um, a little bit more about Smyrna, and I think this will kind of will kind of bring it full circle. The church in Smyrna encountered persecution, and that word persecution literally means to squeeze or to crush. So the word Smyrna, the city means suffering, but it was named after, it was derived after um, what was a big source of its economy, and that is myrrh. Now, you may be familiar with myrrh from, uh, from the Christmas story, or maybe you're big into essential oils. Maybe myrrh is one of them, I don't know. But um, myrrh played a prominent role in the city's economy. Myrrh was an ointment that was placed in the folds of a burial cloth when someone, died and was going to be laid in a tomb. You may recall that myrrh was a baby gift given uh, by the Magi to Mary and Joseph. I doubt that Mary and Joseph registered for burial spices, but, uh, <laughs> but it's what, what they got. Um, and we know, since we kind of see the story from beginning to end, that, that gift of myrrh was actually a prophetic gift, anointing, uh, pointing to the day where Jesus would be anointed as the Lamb sacrifice for our sins. So here's the thing about myrrh. In order for this spice to give off its full fragrance and perfume, it had to be crushed. So picture this. It was the crushing, the persecution of myrrh that released its aroma. It's difficult to picture this, but it was through being crushed and beaten that this church in Smyrna, the Church of Suffering, the Church of Myrrh, became the aroma of Christ. So here's Smyrna, a city whose smell would cause people immediately to think of death, a city whose economy counted on income from burial spices, a city where Christians were exhorted to remain faithful to the point of death, and being themselves wrapped up in this ointment, this aroma. So how does Jesus introduce himself in the midst of all that they are going through? Jesus says, I am the first and the last. Some translations say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And I wonder if if Jesus is saying to these blessed people, hey, I know how faithful you are. I know you are all in. I know how devoted you are as a follower of me and to making me known in Smyrna. I want you to know i'm the first and the last i was here before there was any suffering and i want you to know i'll be here after i faced death and i came back to life this is the hope that you have i don't know um uh, breath prayers are a part of my spiritual practices things that i try to do on a, on a ongoing basis and one thing i like about a breath prayer is it's just kind of as it's symbolized it's, it's it's short it's a prayer that's as short as your breath an inhale and an exhale and it's something that i can do um, as i'm driving uh, as i am emptying the dishwasher as i am laying in bed about to go to sleep as I am entering into something in my day that's making me feel a little tense and anxious. I can enter into a breath prayer. So earlier this week, I'd been doing a little bit of studying for this, and I felt in me um, just some anxiety beginning to well up. I'll probably get to this at some point, but anxiety has been a big part of my story um, over the years. But it's also a way for me um, to meet Christ in the midst of, of that. Um, so I, I felt that I was kind of getting anxious. I sent a text to Beth, my wife, and I was like, hey, just pray for me. And I, I rattled off um, three or four things that I was kind of stressed about. And her response was, take a deep breath. And it triggered that thought, well, you know, this would be a beautiful breath prayer. To remember that Jesus was here before I encountered this. And he's going to be here after. And he's going to be with me through it. And so my breath prayer that day, and I've kind of been carrying it throughout the week, is just on the inhale, Jesus, you are the first. On the exhale, Jesus, you are the last. Jesus, you are the first. And you are the last and I found that as a way like I said for me to kind of meet Christ in the midst of what was well, compared to what we're talking about here a very minor suffering but it was a way for me to be reminded of who Jesus is in the midst of my day-to-day so I lay that out there to you as um, when you find yourself feeling like you are up against the wall Maybe that would be a way that you can reflect on Christ. And just very simply, just breathe. Take a deep breath in. Jesus, you are the first. And you are the last. And you're everything in between. So, why would we have church? You ever had somebody say, um, you know, yeah, I I believe in God, but I just, I don't really think I need church. I don't think church is necessary. And this is something that I'm pretty sure everybody in this room has either heard, thought, or vocalized themselves. Really, do we need church? And so, especially with what we've been talking about, you may be thinking, who in their right mind wants to be part of a church commitment that involves suffering? Who wants to be a part of something that could result in suffering? And I wanna answer that question with this one. Why go through a season of suffering by yourself when you can be surrounded by the church? Why do I think church is necessary? It's because life is hard. Life is really hard. And as we journey and we try to live our life faithfully I think that's when we're going to see we have to do life together. Do I think, life is, uh, do I think church is necessary? You bet I do. Do I think church is perfect? No. <laughs> but I can't imagine life without church. And there is no doubt in my mind that every person in Marin needs church. They need you and I Reaching out, loving them, and encouraging them. So your action step, I want to urge you to begin to find your tribe. Who are the people that you can surround yourself with that are going to help you as you press through? As we reach out and we go to tackle some of these things that God is is going to open doors for us to do. Um, Beginning on September 8th, I want to lead us through a real simple and straightforward look at what the Bible says about healthy community. Um, The working title for this series is Body Life, and uh, I want us to gain a fuller understanding of what it means for us to do life together. In fact, when you invite someone to church, when you invite someone to Bay Marin, what I'm going to be talking about those days, that is actually what you're inviting them into. You're not just inviting them to a church service. You're actually inviting them into a way of doing life with others. And we're going to talk about some things that will be not just helpful and advantageous for us in a church setting, but I, I'm telling you, even in your relationships at home and work, there's going to be some really rich things that um, I think will be helpful for you. So that's coming up on September 8th, but I cannot emphasize how much we need each other. We need the church. I need the church. It's widely believed among both Catholics and Protestants that Polycarp was the bishop of the church in Smyrna. And if you've done any kind of church history, um, uh, Classes. Uh, there are several ancient writings that Polycarp was not just the pastor, the lead bishop of that church, but he was also discipled by the Apostle John himself, who wrote the book of Revelation. And Polycarp was martyred for his faith, because he would not say Caesar is Lord, rather than bowing to the emperor. And so uh, Polycarp was quoted as saying this, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. I bless you, rather, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ." And Polycarp was um, sentenced to death by burning at the stake. Something happened, and the flames did not actually consume him, and so he actually died at the point of a spear, um, stabbed to death. So what is this cup of Christ? And I want us to think about this as we begin to to direct our thoughts for communion. In fact, if um, the worship team wants to make their their way up there. Um, During what we now call the Last Supper, the cup over which Jesus prayed contained this... Just symbolically, this, this cup of suffering, this great trial and torturous death that Jesus was about to go through. And he spoke of that same cup when he said to, to James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And then he goes on to say in that last supper, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Communion is a time for us to remember our common union. The common union we have in Christ who saw that cup of suffering as worth drinking, something that he took on for us. And it's also our way of saying, I, I too want to be like Christ, even if there is some suffering along the way. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. uh, Those that are going to help with communion, can make your way forward. Um, if this is not your uh, church home, that's okay. We, we celebrate what's called an open table. This is an opportunity for us to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And if you're one who is on your journey of following Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to fulfill what Jesus asked us to do, and that is to remember him and the sacrifice that he made. And in just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to get up and make a line coming down and you'll take the bread that represents Jesus' body that was lifted up for you and dip it in the cup, the cup of suffering, the blood that he shed for the atonement of our sins. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray for us. And then you can begin making your way forward. Father, Personally, I just wanna say thank you for the passages of scripture that I wouldn't rather skip over. Um, I pray that as we, um, as we allow ourselves to take a step towards following you, towards pursuing whatever this call is that you have for us as a body, as a church, that we will see how much we need each other to encourage each other, to press on. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room that are not quite sure yet if you are who you claim to be, Jesus, as the King of Kings, as the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Lord, maybe uh, just by coming forward and taking this bread, and dipping it in the cup, it was their way, it could be their way of saying, yes, Jesus is Lord. May that phrase, Father, be in all of our hearts and all of our minds as we come forward in these next few moments and we just say thank you. And we remember that you are Lord. It's in your name I pray. Amen.